Hello everyone, uh, welcome to the ILN talk show, uh, a free space to discuss different developments in Muslim majority countries and beyond. Um, and this is our eighth uh, ILN talk show, but it's the first time we're having a female guest and I'm really happy about this. Um, I'm so happy to uh, introduce Ms. Aira Azhari, um, who is um, working now as manager of the Democracy and Governance Unit at the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs Ideas based in Malaysia. Ms. Azhari, um, we're very happy to have you with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Um, so we're going to be talking about Malaysia, the political scene in Malaysia and everything related to it. Um, so your role at Ideas requires you to uh, provide political analysis um, and various, uh, you know, for vo various audiences, including political parties, um, diplomats, the media, the corporate sector, as well as civil society organizations. So you're quite an expert. Um, so based on this, uh, I wanted to ask you about what is the political landscape in Malaysia, you know, looks like, like right now? Um, has it evolved since the last three years, since the GE uh, in 2018, the general elections, and ever since Mahathir Mohamed came back to the scene? Thank you, Tasneem. So um, since uh, the 14 general elections that happened on the 9th of May in 2018, uh, there has been significant political developments in Malaysia. So uh, the 2018 elections itself was already very, very significant, right? Because it was the first time that uh, the coalition, uh, the, Bar the Barisan National Coalition, was unseated mm. from power uh, since our independence in 1957. So... Um, and then the new coalition that came into power, Pakatan Harapan, uh, they, uh, I think, you know, a lot of reform-minded Malaysians and uh, were very, very happy with their victory and had very high expectations uh, of the policies and of their governance when they came into power. And it was a, um, to some extent, it was a, a progressive government, I would say. It was multiracial. Uh, they had a multiracial cabinet. Um, and they were very, very uh, enthusiastic uh, to some extent, to some degree, on, on institutional reforms, on democratic uh, openings in the country. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. they were only in power for 22 months, so they, they didn't complete the, uh, even two years of administration before um, in February 2020, there was a uh, there was a series of backdoor uh, negotiations and dealings that resulted in the collapse of the government uh, in February mm -hmm. uh, last year of 2020. And uh, since then, I think, uh, you know, there has been a lot of uncertainty in our political scene. And the latest, uh, latest I guess, uh, change is uh, happened in August uh, of this year, of 2021, uh, no, sorry, September of this year, actually, okay. uh, with the swearing-in of the new, uh, another new prime minister, uh, Ismail Sabri, who came into power. Uh, and this was the result of um, uh, the, the former prime minister uh, actually uh, losing support uh, by his uh, members of parliament. And he mm -hmm. then had to step down and make way for a new prime minister. So we've actually had two changes of government in the last year, um, not through elections, right? So yeah. I think this has actually become uh, very significant in Malaysia and uh, 
come calls into question a lot of things about electoral politics, uh, democratic yeah. norms, independent institutions, and a lot of Malaysians, I think, have uh, are now starting to question. Um, what is the point of voting, right? If uh, the mm -hmm. government can just be changed without the people's mandate. So all of these fundamental questions about democracy are coming into question. And all of this is happening, of course, in yeah. the midst of a pandemic. Uh, where, I was just going to uh, ask you about this. Um, how, yes. How, how has the pandemic uh, and its management especially affected the political situation in Malaysia? Yeah, so in uh, during the, the first change last year in February, uh, this was right at the moment when COVID-19 hit Malaysian shores. So, mm -hmm. and at the time, you know, COVID was still very new. Uh, we, we didn't really know much about it. We thought that it was going to be over and done within a few months. Like everybody uh, else. Yeah. Like everybody else, right? Um, I mean, little did we know that it was only going to get worse. So it started uh, to get really, really bad in Malaysia uh, at the end of last year. Uh, I think it was October or November of 2020 when mm -hmm. we had our second wave. Um, and that, and you know, that really, I think, pushed many Malaysians over the edge and made many Malaysians very, very unhappy with the government's handling of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we have increased numbers of deaths were increasing every day and hospitals and our healthcare system was very very overwhelmed um so i think that that well. contributed repetitive lockdowns. Sorry, the lockdown yes yeah. and of course the repeated lockdowns has affected many households people have lost jobs and all of that so that i think contributed to the previous prime minister's unpopularity and the reason part of the reason why i think he uh, lost a lot of support uh, and had to step down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so um, we're going to move to something related to this, but not exactly, but still in the realm of, of politics. So um, earlier this month um, on the vibes.com, you actually took part in an article entitled Public Funding for Political Parties, a Start but Not a Panacea. And as we know, public political funding is a system where parties receive public funds to cover their costs without relying too much on, um, you know, um, private donors. So to quote your words, you, you actually stated that some parties may not need public political funding as much. The money these parties may get from public funds will not be as much as they can get from ne the other networks. So um, do you think that the information regarding uh, private donors are easily extracted from certain political parties in Malaysia? I mean, could we say that there is transparency in Malaysia? Uh so I would say when it comes to transparency in political funding, um, I would say that it's almost non-existent in Malaysia. Uh, we, we actually do not have uh, a law that uh, regulates uh, money in politics. So there is no compulsion or there is no, uh, you know, political, political parties are in no way obligated by the law to disclose mm -hmm. the sources of their fundings. Um, there is, you know, the in the Election Offences Act, there is just a, like one clause that says um, election candidates need to uh, only spend a certain amount and then declare that. But even then, that is not um, enforced very strictly. So we do not have laws that uh, regulate political funding, basically. So this is what ideas and many other NGOs, CSOs, think tanks in Malaysia are fighting for, uh, to have uh, or 
to legislate a law on political funding in Malaysia. And during the Pakatan Harapan administration, this was one of their manifesto promises. But of course, they didn't manage to table it in parliament, right? So mm -hmm. this is something that we're working very, very hard on because uh, political opaque sources of political funding is a huge source of political corruption Absolutely. in Malaysia. And yeah. yeah, and I know, you know, the 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 case of one mdb with the previous prime minister najib razak became uh global headlines and that is just i think still uh just one case out of you know we don't know how many other cases like that are there yeah. in malaysia yeah so um you know when we don't know where politicians get money from then that opens the doors to many other things like money laundering corruption uh the pandora papers recently revealed you know this network of offshore accounts by very very rich uh, individuals and politicians around around the world right so uh i think uh, public funding uh going back to to the article that you quoted um yeah. is a is a system that we are trying to advocate for um for for several reasons uh firstly i think uh, this idea of public funding of parties uh, has been getting some traction amongst politicians in Malaysia. So mm -hmm. it is, uh, you know, it is in a way, um, you know, if we can get one foot through the door by getting public funding passed, then, uh, you know, we can open the door to lots of other reforms sure. and with public funding uh, comes an obligation of transparency so because public funding comes from you know taxpayers money so political parties then absolutely must be transparent about how they spend that money on so uh, it is a in a way it is a good uh, it is a good method to compel parties to be transparent with funding and uh, you know, but there are different systems all around the world. Uh, you know, Germany yeah. has the system. Uh, South Korea has a different system. So we, we, we're we not too sure about the technicalities yet on how it can be implemented in Malaysia. But there are several issues that we need to take into account. Like in Malaysia, for example, because AMNO was in power for so long, ever since independence. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have managed to accumulate a lot of wealth and, you know, they have very well-known business networks that then makes them a very well party and then there are other political parties which are much newer much smaller that uh you know do not have much sources of funding so we need mm -hmm. to take all of this into account when we are thinking about uh, political funding yeah absolutely so before going into the technic technicalities of implementing this law of ever it happens um do you think the political parties especially the big ones are accepting this are they accepting this or are they resisting it is there any discussion taking place now in Malaysia about this? Yes, so I would say that um, the a party like AMNO, for example, has come out uh, in the uh, recent, in re quite recently, saying that they are open to transparency and to accountability in political funding. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think this come, this is motivated by many factors. So one of them is, uh, the you know the one mdb case of course uh, i think tarnished uh, their image i think amongst many malaysians uh, their image uh, internationally and then you know so many of their own leaders are being uh, prosecuted in court because of uh, you know cases involving money politics so either money laundering or breach of trust or uh, tax evasion so mm -hmm. 
they they themselves know that because the system is unregulated uh you know they they then also become trapped by the system because you know uh they might be raising funds for legitimate reasons to fund their political activities but then you know there is no way to to declare that because there is mm -hmm. no law so they then get caught in in all these other things so i think they have started to realize the importance of this and uh which is good right so from from our perspective uh, the yeah. more politicians talk about it and the more politicians uh, realize the importance of transparency that means that um the political will might be might increase and we might see uh yeah. you know politicians themselves pushing for it which which is what we need the more likely yeah. it's gonna happen one day yeah exactly um yes. so we've been talking about the parties but the parties are in a way a reflection to uh, a reflection of the citizens themselves uh as far as corruption is concerned right so um in december mm -hmm. 2018 uh the then malaysian deputy prime minister uh wana zizawan ismail said that according to the transparency international malaysia about four percent of gdp was lost to corruption annually since 2013. and you actually commented on this i've been stalking you of course um on the net sorry about that <laughs> thank you <laughs> you commented on this um on um on the sand daily by saying that the people need to understand that giving and receiving bribes in return of favors and positions is unacceptable that was in 2018. Mm -hmm. Three years later, where does Malaysia stand now as far as corruption is concerned, as far as the citizens are concerned, and of course, the political parties? Yeah, so uh, this is a, a really interesting question, right? Because when it comes to corruption, of course, you have um, the international indexes like the Corruption Perception Index uh, that, um, you know, ideas follows quite closely as well to see how mm -hmm. uh, Malaysia's, Malaysia's position, has it improved or has it changed? Um, but we also realize that these indexes are also not the best or not the most accurate reflection of okay. uh, the situation on the ground. Um, and, and at the end of the day, corruption is something that is not very easy to measure. It is very, very complicated. It's very complex. It exists in different forms. So you have bribery, you have money laundering, you have fraud and many, many other kinds of corrupt practices. So, uh, and you know, you have individuals, you have politicians and you have corporations uh, and yeah. who are all capable of committing corruption. So it is not a very easy thing to, uh, to measure um and and i think and the other thing about corruption as well i mean not just in malaysia i think but in all around the world is uh Absolutely. i think there is the institutional uh failures uh like anti-corruption bodies you know being um influenced by politicians you know not being mm -hmm. independent uh not having enough power and then you have a society where uh you know a lot of um corruption then happens uh, not not necessarily because people you know there are bad people in society but you know some people you know some societies are uh you know probably just don't have enough food to put on their table so you know they don't have any other option but to yeah. uh you know pay bri accept bribes uh to to just 
get on with with their day-to-day life. So there are so many factors, right? And I think in Malaysia, uh, the institutional factor is uh, is important to talk about because uh, this is also something that Ideas has done some research on. So our the Malaysian Anti-Corruption mm-hmm. Commission, for example, uh, you know, has uh, their integrity and their independence has uh, also, I think, come into question by uh, by many NGOs in the past. Uh, the the way that the commissioners in the MECC are uh, appointed, uh, you know, the process is not um, as independent as it should be. And lately, actually, in the news, we have read about how uh, MECC officers themselves are being uh, being caught uh, for corrupt practices, which is really worrying, right? So you're supposed to be the body yeah. that uh, regu- that that oversees um, anti-corruption practices, and then you know, and then you're being caught for corruption. So the institutional level, I think, is is already quite problematic, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and this is really important to to consider. And then on the other hand, you also have societal factors where, uh, you know, and I think the societal factors is a lot more difficult to quantify. Um, Ideas actually recently uh, did a a paper or a a piece of research about the cost of corruption. So, Mm -hmm. um, and and this this was really important because uh, some of the findings include, you know, corruption, if you have corruption in the construction sector, for example, yeah. This significantly then raises the cost of uh, of uh, housing, for example, because housing developers are forced to pay bribes to uh, local authorities, to the government, which and this cost is then passed down to the consumer, which is us. So, you know, we are actually paying for properties uh, at prices that are actually a lot more expensive than they really are. So, mm-hmm. um so these are all the factors, I think. And right now, I think in 2021, um, I'm not sure actually if we have made much progress uh, in terms of uh, the institutional factor and also the societal factors. And and the, the solutions are also not 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 easy. But I would mm-hmm. say that the priority, I think, in Malaysia is actually um, for our institutions to be independent and to carry out their their duties with integrity because uh if we do not have that then it is very difficult for um combating corruption to happen so so i think that's where we are now and i think you know the the, the thing about covid also i think it has distracted a bit the discussion uh yeah. yes yeah so i think you know the the discussion about corruption about integrity i think has been um maybe you know not as uh robust as it should be because you know covid has just like completely taken the attention uh, of yeah. so many people uh understandably so and i think this is uh this is a matter of concern yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay i hope that one day it gets to where we want but in- you know, easier yes. said than done. Um, mm-hmm. So we go to um, to another um, another um, detail of this discussion, and it's um, the participation of women, Malaysian women, in the political life. And mm-hmm. as you know, there's this tradition around the world, not just in Malaysia, of having of having women wings um, in each um, you know party, and they're usually you know concentrated on these women wings, and they start. Be- 
becoming leaders of the women wings and speaking about women issues only, uh, leaving you know the the real discussion about the you know the policies and you know the strategies of the party to the arena of men, and the men are the only ones who eventually become the leaders of the party. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about this? And should we just eliminate these women wings altogether? or just, you know, correct the way they're operating? Mm. Yeah, so this is a good question, right? Because I feel like um, women's wings can be a double-edged sword. So on mm -hmm. one hand, um, I realize the need or the importance for women's wings simply because, um, you know, politics has been dominated so, dominated so uh, you know, so extensively by men over mm. so many decades that, if we didn't have women's wings, I think it would um, probably be a lot more difficult than it is already now for women mm -hmm. to then, uh, you know, take that first step into the mm -hmm. political arena. So I think in one hand, it does have uh, its purpose. And I recognize that it is. Um, and, you know, the, the history of women's wings in Malaysia, you know, especially in in, in a party like AMNO, um, you know, it does have... Uh, a, a long history because you know women were also involved in the fight for independence for example and then yeah. you know they they are then uh, the pioneers of women's wings uh, in political parties uh, for example so there is quite a, a significant history to it but on the other hand i also feel like um women's wings can then sort of trap women as well in in yeah. just within the wing and then what happens is um the women in the party then become the head of the women's wings, um, but you know they do not then get the chance to 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 hold our senior party positions. Like you know, I can't I can't I imagine, imagine a woman. Yeah. I can't imagine a woman running for president of a party, for example, uh, mm. simply because uh, simply because I think politics is just so male dominated and the the politics and business networks that are so deeply entrenched in Malaysia is very male dominated access to funding is very difficult and of course you know um sexism i think in malaysian politics is still uh, you know really really rampant yeah. yes and you you see like for example in our parliament uh, where uh, women mps then uh, you know, are the victims of uh, sexist slurs and, you know, uh, misogynistic comments, uh, which mm -hmm. often go unpunished, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, there are just unrealistic expectations for women to, um, you know, to raise families and also to have a political career at the same time, simply because gender roles is still so entrenched in uh in our culture so women are still seen as uh you know primarily the people the, the ones responsible for uh you know child care uh Housewives, basically yeah yes yes exactly household chores and and all of that so uh so all of these challenges exist right and and i think you know the way forward i think is really to sort of to really open up space and possibilities for women as much as possible uh you know without using these sort of um these these categorizations within parties uh like oh this is just for women because you know as you rightly mentioned earlier it then turns into oh women will only talk about women's issues yeah. uh and 
not be included in 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 other issues as well and uh, i think this is this is really prevalent even in political campaigns you will see that women actually play a very very important role uh, at the grassroots level uh, to gain support uh, at the grassroots level from uh, from people in the village people in the sort of um, the, the residential areas mm. uh, but again you know you women are then boxed into these roles where uh you know you do the cooking or you do like you know wrapping presents um and and those kinds of women roles uh but things like you know talking about policies and the economy uh and governance yeah women are not given that, that that space those spaces are still dominated by men so i do think that um although I think women's wings have played that role in giving women that space um, to enter politics. But I mm. think uh, the, I, I guess um, the disadvantages has outweighed. I think the advantages uh, right now, especially in 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 twenty twenty one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there are some people who would say that don't you think it's rather befitting for a democracy? to just focus on enabling more qualified and well-intentioned individuals to succeed in politics, regardless of gender, like this women, men think, isn't this, are we, aren't we done with this? This is just not just in Malaysia, but you know, worldwide. Yeah, I mean, I, on, on one hand, I completely agree with you, right? Because I think, uh, you know, a, a democracy that is truly inclusive, um, is is supposed to uplift and uh you know listen to the voices of uh, of everyone regardless of yeah. gender uh religion race and and all of that um and you know that is absolutely right um however i do think that uh you know women also do uh, experience um issues and problems differently than men right so you know for example uh because the sort of the demarcation of gender roles is still, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, it's very difficult to break out of that mindset of, uh, you know, uh, what a man's job is, what a woman's job, job is, and women tend to then be overburdened with, um, uh, you know, household uh, chores and uh, family caring. Yeah. Um, I do think that uh, there is a difference in the experience that, that men and women face. And I think these uh, these differences are also, it can be quite systemic, right? Because I think in Malaysia now, what uh, in Malaysia now, um, there has been, I think, some discourse about, uh, about uh, paying for uh, care work. So, for example, you know, stay-at-home moms should receive, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some stipend uh, for for their work in within the home so recognizing um care work within the home as being an economic activity and uh you know women should be uh, compensated for that for example so um i do think there are different experiences that uh men and women face and uh those need to be taken into account uh when you know when we're talking about democracy and politics because if if we don't then i think that uh there is a risk that women might be left behind even more uh because of that so i mean there are many mm -hmm. ways to do this there are some countries uh that uh that implement a quota right uh, a 30 percent yeah. quota in parliament for example for women uh 30 percent quota for candidates uh in what do you uh, think women. about that because a lot of people they just end up filling in the, that quota and having unqualified people and then that's it you know that's right yeah <laughs> so 
yeah so quotas are also um quite quite complicated because i think uh especially in malaysia what tends to happen is if we have a quota uh the quota then becomes the target right so for example okay we have 30 percent of women in something like in a in the board of a company or in a political candidate yeah. or whatever uh then we just stop there because we have the 30 percent so it's done right so but exactly. that, that's not the yeah. that's not the right attitude to take because the, the 30 percent is is supposed to be a a tool so quotas are supposed to be a tool for uh for you it's not the goal it's not the end goal but i think quotas Yes, so as long as we've achieved that 30%, that means that, oh, okay, we've done a really great job um, when actually we haven't addressed all the other systemic issues that are preventing women from, uh, you know, occupying these, these spaces. And also, I mean, even within politics, right, like before, before even talking about quotas, um, I think what we need to ask ourselves is, can you imagine a woman being a, a political leader uh, first, right? So, for example, I would I would like to ask Malaysians, like, can you can you imagine a woman being prime minister of the country, can right? They? So if so, you know, if if in your imagination a woman can can, can never be a press prime minister of a country of our country, then I think quotas are not going to be much much use. Absolutely. Yeah, so so quotas are supposed to be a tool, but I think I, I what my fear is that it will be it just end up being a target that everyone just aspires to, uh, and then it just doesn't fulfill its purpose. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Okay, yeah. uh, this is really getting very interesting. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> as an outsider, as someone who's not from Malaysia, I actually noticed something, and correct me if I'm wrong. So I noticed that several names of the Malaysian political parties, like AMNO, for example, United Malays National Organization, they're actually aligned with certain ethnicities within Malaysia, even if it's if it's even if it's the biggest ethnicity, but it doesn't make them as inclusive as they should be to the other ethnicities. And we know that Malaysia is not just about one ethnicity. So mm -hmm. um is my impression correct? And if so, how does this serve democracy in the country? Yeah, so uh, one of the um, long-standing fundamental issues in Malaysian politics is precisely this, which is race-based political parties, right? So uh, UMNO mm -hmm. is not the only one. So UMNO represents the Malays. And then we also have Chinese parties like the Malaysian Chinese Association yeah. and uh, Malaysian Indian Congress, MIC, uh, that represents the Indians. And, uh, you know, even in the opposition, uh, we have uh, the DAP, the Democratic Action Party, which uh, in theory, it's a multiracial party. So um, it doesn't prohibit non-Chinese people from joining. But, it, but you know, just by composition, it is so uh, dominant. Chinese yeah. are so dominant in the party that it's, you know, it's almost like a Chinese party, right? So, and we have passed, of course, the Islamic Party of Malaysia, uh, which obviously is only for Muslims. So, um, so this is one of the biggest long-standing issues, I think, in Malaysian politics. And, you know, in, in every conference, in every forum that we have, we're always discussing this. Uh, what is, you know, our race-based political party still relevant? What is the way forward? How do we then get multiracial parties? Blah, blah, blah. So this has been such a, such a huge issue. And, um, I mean, and, and I think, you know, Malaysians are probably, you know, there are probably two 
two main uh, sides to the to the argument. So there's one side mm -hmm. uh, or there's one one half that says, uh, you know, Malaysia needs to move on from these uh, race-based parties and, you know, we need to have multiracial, multicultural political parties that represent all the interests of all Malaysians and mm -hmm. not just certain races, right? Because yeah. that's just, uh, you know, that's just more inclusive. It's more in line with, uh, with uh, you know, what's happening in the world today. Uh, diversity representation is, is, is so important. And then there's the other side of the argument uh, that yeah. says, um, you know, the, the interest of every, uh, every racial group in Malaysia are different. So uh, that's why we need parties to cater to certain uh, demands, certain interests from each each race, racial community. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, you need to, when you win elections, then uh, to win elections, you need to get into coalitions, basically. Uh, with parties uh, that represent different communities, so there are two, I think, sides to the to the argument, and uh, you know, th this is this is, I think, the the perennial problem, I think, in Malaysian politics. And what are the percentages? Uh, of course, of these yeah, two I mean, arguments. That's that's quite difficult, I think, to say. Uh, I, I I don't think there's been a like you know some large scale survey that's been done, yeah. uh, to ask this question. Um, but I think but we can see certain patterns, right? We can see okay. certain uh, certain patterns where, uh, you know, um, Malaysians who are probably a bit more religiously conservative, uh, will will most probably uh, support the uh, race-based parties uh, political model uh, mm -hmm. because you know because they are uh, concerned that the interest of their own race uh, needs to be represented uh, and you know you will there is also another pattern where you'll probably see um, Malaysians who are uh, have a more cosmopolitan upbringing uh, who yeah. you know are uh, are exposed to um, I, I don't know, I guess to, to worldly affairs and issues are probably a bit more progressive and would yeah. support a multiracial, uh, diverse political model. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so I think those are the two and, and it's, it's really difficult to say because when Pakatan Harapan won in 2018, uh, many progressive Malaysians were very happy because uh, that was a more multiracial, multi-ethnic coalition and the government was also more multiracial. But, um, you know, as, as, as we saw uh, in 2020, when that government fell, mm -hmm. uh, many, of the, many of the reasons that were then put forward for the, you know, uh, for, the, for the, re the reason that government fell was because uh, the interest of the Malay Muslim majority community was not uh, properly taken into account. Taken into account. So yeah. yeah, so that brought their downfall, right? So mm -hmm. so now we are seeing uh, Abno uh, back in power, uh, and and many have said that oh okay now uh, the interests of the Malay Muslims are then more taken care of. Um, although this remains to be seen because I think in Malaysia. Uh, when any party comes into government, they are then forced to take a more moderate position on, on many things because uh, they know mm -hmm. that they can't just rely on the support of one one race or one community. Absolutely. So you, you, yeah. 
so so i think these are these are the contentions i think currently and uh yeah and for me this is uh probably you know the number one problem that needs to be and we need to have an honest conversation about it but it's very very difficult um you know it gets very emotive and people people tend to you know feel very strongly about it yes yes exactly But yeah. I think a, a healthy sign is that you are having this conversation, which is good, you know, at least for a starter. Yeah. Yes. All right. Exactly. So um, as a Malaysian citizen, this is my last question. Um, how do you see the future of democracy um, in Malaysia and what changes in the democratic uh, structure and constitution would you like to propose? So for me, I would like to see... Um, uh, you know malaysian politics uh, move to a more policy oriented politics uh, right now you know we are still obsessed with race religion um, personalities uh, and also uh, money politics uh, i think uh, you know money has become such a big part of our politics uh, and you know this leads then to corruption abuse of power and many other problems so for me you know i would like to really see that transition to policy oriented issue based politics uh, and you know we need to leave behind this politics of race religion personalities and money um, mm -hmm. and and i think this is uh, really important uh, because you know if we get stuck in this politics of very divisive race religious money personality politics i think it is very difficult for malaysia to catch up with uh with our neighbors with the rest of the world where you know and how do we then face the the contemporary problems facing our world today uh if we are still stuck in those boxes so for me i would like mm -hmm. to see that and you know what kind of changes uh structural constitutional changes we need i mean there are there are so many right um and and i think where we can start is probably um and this is what ideas is uh trying to do which is uh what we talked about earlier political financing we need to yeah. make that more transparent so that malaysians know where their politicians get money from Uh, it sounds quite simple, but it's not. And also, secondly, I think uh, I would like to see changes in our parliament. How do we make our parliament, uh, you know, more than just a rubber stamp for laws, but to be an actual institution where, um, you know, the 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 voices of our MPs are 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 heard, and where um men and women laws and policies both men and women exactly yeah. and where um laws and policies can be debated uh upon in in depth and in real and have real substance to that because parliament mm -hmm. is such an important reflection of of society i think so those Absolutely. so yeah so that is my hope uh for our politics going forward okay hopefully in our next discussion some of these steps would be uh, achieved. <laughs> All right, Iris, thank yeah. you very much for uh, joining me in our uh, Island Talk Show and for being the first woman to uh, to, to join me as a guest. Um, looking forward to thank having you. more discussions with you um, in the future. And I hope our viewers um, have enjoyed this discussion. Thank you very much, Ira. See you soon. Thank you, Tastim. Thank you very much.
Goodbye. Goodbye.